0: Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is believe. This
1: episode of Gagan Preston is brought to you by Manscaped, the premier brand for male grooming. And you can get twenty percent off all their products at Manscaped.com by using the code Gagan two zero two one. That's G E G E N two zero two one.
0: Ich warte seit Wochen
1: auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's ein Rhythmus, als gäb's ein Lied,
0: das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Kommen dir entgegen. Hallo und willkommen zu Gegenpressing, der Bundesliga-Podcast vom der Football Grad Network. Mein Name ist Manuel Veth. And we don't have any Chris Williams or Bryce done with me this week, but that's okay because I recruited a very special guest in Lars Sievertson. Lars, how is it going?
1: I'm good, Manuel. Hi, thank you. I'm very glad I get to be here. It's a lovely spring evening in London. The weather has been nice for once. Uh, We've had a
0: pretty interesting weekend of football, so a great time to be on the pod. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to hear all your opinions about, especially the Bundesliga. But before we get started, and I know people don't really like to talk about themselves, but Lars, if people don't know who you are, first of all, shame on them. (laughs) Who are you? What do you do? And Uh, why is it special to have you on the show?
1: Certainly not. I'm Norwegian. I'm sort of genetically uh, wired to never give myself any credit for anything. Uh, But but I I try to make a living uh, writing and and speaking about football. Uh, I do so for Almost anyone. I mean, I, we, we, we try to be a little bit sort of selective here, but uh, I write for a company called Betson. I write online for them. Uh, I've uh, been a reporter with Norwegian TV too. Uh, I've written quite a bit for Yosimar in my career in a magazine you may have heard of. And in terms of radio and podcast stuff, you might have heard me on the Guardians uh, football podcast, Football Weekly or possibly a, a little uh, known or oh, a very good podcast called on the continent from the football ramble guys and uh, also on talk sport uh, the
0: uh, british uh, sports station you might hear me turn up when you least expect it i, I think I know all of these outlets and um, excellent. S- excellent selection of <laughs> outlets as well yosima by the way one of probably one of the best maybe you know the best uh, non-English magazines out there in football. Uh, unfortunately, my Norwegian isn't great, but I know that some of the features you guys do is just absolutely fantastic. And Lars, I'm really glad that you're on because we probably have the biggest Norwegian football star in the Bundesliga, and he was quite busy this weekend. Uh, to take it away, Dahoud.
1: And look at this. Erling Haaland stretches his legs. And Haaland for the second time today.
0: Haaland. Well he can take a bow. As far as all the Dortmund fans watching this are concerned. What a crucial goal that could be in the Champions League equation. Yeah, Erling Haaland. Lars, you have the sense sort of right now that he is single handedly heaving Borussia Dortmund in the Champions League, isn't he? It
1: did look like that this weekend, didn't it? And I, I've, I've said this, <laughs> and I've written this in Norwegian on Twitter. It is a concern with Holland is, uh, Holland is that he's 20, but we're already kind of running out of superlatives. And this is going to be a challenge because he's going to be around for a long time. He is very good. The single handedness is interesting because I do feel like, is there a, maybe a sense that he is almost a man apart a little bit here now? He does seem like he's almost sort of, like you say, trying to trying to carry the team on his own, which is maybe not a healthy situation for him or the team, uh, that, that's a theme we might be able to uh, to explore a bit further, but certainly it was a huge win for them against Wolfsburg, uh, and coupled with the fact that results elsewhere went their way, and they've given themselves a chance uh, to finish in the top four now, which I think could have an impact on on his future for sure this summer.
0: I think you, you're bringing up an important point here. I mean, first of all, um, 53 goals in 56 games now for Borussia Dortmund, um, that's an unbelievable start for a 20-year-old um, centre-forward. And there was one goal today, one goal that he scored, and it did seem like he single-handedly made that goal, but it really was Mahmoud Dahoud's pass in the build-up. Um, granted, it was all the way in his own half that made that that run possible. But he looked a little bit like Ronaldo almost, and I mean the real Ronaldo, not the one that's still playing. Um, in, in that, that he had that really powerful burst and just that that finishing quality. But I think you're bringing up or hinting at some very interesting points here, Lars. And that's the the fact that this whole single handedness that um, of of Qatar, trying to catapult Borussia Dortmund into the Champions League. It comes with its benefits, of course, because he's he's a, he's a fantastic striker and he he scores a lot of goals. But it's actually interesting that Borussia Dortmund's overall goal scoring, since they scored, signed Haaland, has gone down, right? Has it become almost like they're too dependent on him? And yes, again, to throw all that that weight on the shoulders of a 20-year-old, even though they're massive shoulders in his case, is it, probably a dangerous thing
1: yeah I completely agree with that, and i 've got to declare an interest first. Not only am I from the same country as uh, Alling Holland, uh, but I grew up in the small same small town as him from the the great city of Brunei uh, which is technically a city which a very small one uh, so you 'll you 'll struggle to find a bigger Aling Holland fan than me uh, and and I have to say he 's been extraordinary but you you make a very fair point about their overall output declining, and I think it is a danger when you have an individual who is so dangerous as he is is that the rest of the team becomes all about getting the ball to him. And, and, and that is maybe not always the healthiest situation for a team to be in. And certainly, if he ends up staying this summer, it's a, something for Marco Rosa to address going into next season, I think. I, I think that's fair to say.
0: Yeah, I think um, we're going to talk about that in a moment because I do want to talk about also this game, which was an enormous result for Borussia Dortmund. And as you said, has has some implications. So I guess we're going to talk about it sooner than I think. But it has some implications on... His future, I think, um, I that, you know, they're now just two points behind Wolfsburg. More importantly, one point behind Eintracht Frankfurt, Wolfsburg, of course, and Dortmund still play RB Leipzig, um, who, who have been the second best team in, in Germany all this year. And we're going to talk about Leipzig in a few moments as well. But you do have the sense, though, now, Lars, that momentum is on their side, don't you? Especially in, in this game, because beating Wolfsburg... We have seen Dortmund slip so many times this season when it mattered, right? Yeah, and 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 against, yeah.
1: Sorry, and against Wolfsburg as well. Wolfsburg, away. I mean, I, I often make this joke that you know, in the in the land of the of the blind, the one-eyed man is king. And of course, in the land of the Bundesliga, a team that can defend is is always going to do quite well. And Wolfsburg, you know, usually very well organized, unusually so for Bundesliga teams. I hope that's not too insulting, but I find that Wolfsburg is one of those teams where I watch and I think, yeah, okay, you guys know what you're doing defensively, and it, and and in the game as a whole, like they had a lot of chances, and Dortmund didn't play that well but Holland was able to tilt them in their favor even with the man sent off which was you know especially when the red card came you saw oh it's going to go wrong again and it didn't and it's a huge result with their fixture list being what it is I'm not completely sure I'd make them favorites yet but you're right there's a sense of momentum there and and with both uh, with both their competitors with frankfurt and wolfsburg both sort of dropping points a little bit lately suddenly it looks very interesting and and, and let, let me just do this now i think with holland and his future my understanding is that certainly up until uh, dortmund had their their big sort of their big trouble a couple of weeks back and they lost some games and suddenly things started looking very bad in the league before that i really don't think the plan was for him to move in the summer you know, you can say what you want uh, about uh, the people around Holland and the way they operate, but so far in his career, they've been completely focused on on making sure he has the best environment, uh, is in the best environment for him to develop. That goes all the way back to leaving Brune, uh, my hometown, for, for Molde, and for then going from Molde to Abi Leipz- Salzburg. I'm sorry. And then that's a good Freudian slip, because actually they didn't do what everyone expected them to do and go to Arby Leipzig. They decided actually for us, Uh, Dortmund works out better, and and that's proven to be the case. They've always looked very carefully. Now, I'm not going to suggest they're not being very well paid and he's not being very well paid in Dortmund and that it wasn't a deal that worked out very well for everyone concerned financially. Of course it was, but it's clear that that was a very good team for him to go into the way they needed the centre-forward. They need to have, have so many good creative players around him to set up chances for him. It's been a great move for him. And they always, again... You'll find people who have very, very strong opinions about Mr. Mino and whenever he does move, there'll be numbers thrown around about what kind of money he, the agent gets and what kind of money his father allegedly gets and all of this stuff. But the priority is always... You know where will he fulfill his potential and so far Dortmund has been a great choice and I do think this is certainly my very very strong impression is that they would much prefer for him to stay there for one more season uh, it puts them in a much stronger bargaining position next, next summer because of the buyout clause uh, and also next summer you would imagine the big clubs around the continent are in a stronger financial position or at least that it's easier for them to, to know what their financial position is and how much money they could commit to this sort of transfer without having a big problem. This summer, it's a little bit trickier. So everything suggests that it would be, in a way, better for him to stay, but that all changes if Dortmund doesn't make the Champions League. Because if they don't make the Champions League, they will have to find... Uh, money somewhere. I don't care if they're saying publicly that, oh, we, we didn't have any debt so we're fine. It's, sorry, but you are going to lose a lot of money and they are going to have to find that money somewhere. And it's going it's to be very difficult for Marco Rosa coming in to build a team that could feasibly challenge Bayern uh, next season. So you have not just one year outside of the Champions League, which Haaland would hate, but you have also a very transitional season where there maybe isn't a realistic prospect of having a team uh, that could potentially challenge for titles. And then for Haaland, maybe it becomes a bit of a lost year in his career and maybe the time to move would be now so not qualifying for the champions league i think that will have to move their time frame a little bit whereas if they stay in the champions league him staying it gives him a lot of options next summer and it means another year at a club where he is very happy all things you know all, apparently so very very interesting with the the running from his perspective
0: i think it's very interesting too because i would counter a few things that you said although I, I agree mostly with them, With um, I have that dealing with Dortmund and sort of their the communication. Um, I think that what they say about Haaland staying, they really mean it. Mm. Uh, I think that is that is something, you know, both Dortmund, when we saw it last summer, they set a clear deadline for Jadon Sancho. And once that deadline was passed, um, the media could write whatever they wanted, but <laughs> the, the, the yeah, transfer was off. It was really and funny. It was very funny. I, I think we all thought it was actually really funny because there was all sorts of stuff made up and speculated and so on. And of course, most of it wasn't true. But um, I think that Hawatzke's talk and Kehl are pretty steadfast. And um, I do think that I do think now that Dortmund will qualify for the Champions League. But I do think also if they don't, I think they would put their foot down and say no um, because I think that the financial. Financially, they are quite well run. I mean, we talked before the podcast about how how better organized German teams are financially, period, than anyone else in Europe, right? They do not spend above their mean. There is certain capital put aside. And yes, they have hurt. Dortmund have been hurting during, during this corona crisis, just like everyone else. But um, there's studies that come out that if they make a deep run in the Europa League, they can comp- compensate um, for the loss of the Champions League if... T- if Big if fans are allowed back into attendance, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Um, So I I do think Dortmund make their lives a lot easier by just qualifying for the Champions League because then all that Holland talk talk is gone. It will disappear overnight, right? We just basically, they would say, okay, we're in the Champions League now, stop talking right yeah um, i i wouldn't rule out the
1: possibility of, of mino you know <laughs> making some moves <laughs> just to see what happens uh, so i the idea that the talk will stop entirely i'm not sure i go along with but i completely hear what you're saying and i think him staying is very very viable from his perspective if they make the champions league of
0: course and of course i think if he stays and with a new coach although it'd be interesting to see how marco rose's relationship is going to develop with Haaland and with the rest of the squad, um, we, there might actually be a chance of them winning a title. Too. I mean, they, they, we have to recall they can win a title this year. I mean, mm. in the semi-final of the German Cup playing against Holstein Kiel. And um, there is quite a good chance that Borussia Dortmund could win a title this year. I mean, we don't want to completely ignore the fact that Bayern are completely out of that competition, leaving the door wide open for Dortmund and Leipzig to, to win a title. So I, I think... Um, I think that is something that we have to kind of remember Borussia Dortmund's season could go from or oh, this was kind of terrible to oh wait we qualified for the Champions League and we won a title um that yeah. was actually a pretty good year. <laughs> yes, it it's still happen. possible. Yes. I mean, we have to remember that's still possible. Which, given uh,
1: some of the the nonsensical nature of some of their performances this year, would be quite incredible if we got to if we got to that point.
0: Yeah, but that's how what it is all about. It's what <laughs> the abgerechnet wird zum Schluss. You know, you you pay the bill at the end. That's, <laughs> that's what they exactly say right. in German. <laughs> that's a
1: very good saying. It's a very good saying. One thing I'd like to mention. Uh, just throw out there in terms of Marco Rose coming in because I'm kind of curious to hear your take on it. I wonder if he will have quite the same license to do essentially whatever he wants to do on the pitch uh, under Marco Rose as he had under Favre, as he had under Edin Because because Holland, of course, as we know, Holland is certainly not a lazy player. Like Holland doesn't mind hard work, but if you look at his number this season, he isn't pressing a lot. <laughs> He's being allowed to conserve his energy. Uh, to 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 make sure he's got uh, the got the power that he needs and the stamina that he needs for when the the chance is on for him to basically just burst through and run away from everyone. He's not having to use his uh, not have to burden his legs on carrying that giant frame around, pressing the opponents, uh, which is good for him. That's been very nice for him. And when we talk about him scoring a ton of goals but Dortmund maybe not scoring a ton of goals is because, of course, so much of this team has been set up around getting the ball to him in dangerous areas. I do wonder if it will be that, you know, built around him to that same extent under Marco Rosa next season.
0: It's a difficult question, isn't it? Because Rosa is from that Red Bull school. Exactly. And Red Bull is about the collective counter-pressing. And um, you cannot have... I mean, funnily enough, of course, Haaland is... A former Red Bull player, but you know he's still he's he will have to be part of that collective. And it's it's really interesting. I mean, the, the Gladbach result was fantastic today. They they played some great football, and but you saw three attackers um, basically counter pressing throughout the entire game, right? Whether it was Embolo, Player, uh, or Turam. And all of a sudden you have one player doing it rather than three. And I, I think that's a very interesting question. Like how is Marco Rosa going to adapt himself to um, work with a player that he has known in the past? Um, I think there's, it's, I mean, there's a lot of debate in Germany. Um, we had Yasmin Baba on, on the podcast a few weeks ago. And she's saying that she doesn't think that Rose is maybe necessarily the best fit for Borussia Dortmund. And mm. that's a really interesting question, right? Maybe he's not. And, um, we back to square one in no time. She actually thinks they should just stick it to Erdin Tezic. And Wow, it's interesting. It's, it is an interesting question because we don't have an answer yet. No, right. And not. I think it's a fascinating one to kind of watch. Um, maybe the final one on Haaland before we move on to our next Norwegian striker, Lars, hmm. uh, when he leaves. And we I think we can all agree on that he is going to eventually leave. We've chatted online before about yeah. where do you where you want him to go, and mm. I think we kind of agree both on that take because there's a lot of talk about England, but I think we both think that he might be better suited in Spain.
1: Yeah, I. there are a couple of things that worry me a little bit uh, about him going to England, and certainly about him going to England now or next summer, which is that he's still very young. And the thing to remember is can can you name a sort of explosive fast pacedy forward who's gone to england like in his 20 when he's 20 21 and had like a 10 year long career at the very top level i mean that just that generally doesn't tend to happen it's a very tough league uh, there are a lot of games uh, the pitches aren't bad anymore i mean that was in the 80s but there's a lot of a lot of games and you get kicked around a little bit more than in other uh, competitions um I don't necessarily buy into this, oh, it's the greatest league in the world and everyone can beat everyone. I think that's true a lot of places, but it is certainly true that I think, I would I would argue that for someone like Real Madrid can rest their stars slightly more often in the league or take them off after 60 minutes because they're 4-0 up and this sort of thing. I mean, it, it's a little bit, I think you have more games in the air where you need 90 minutes of 100% from all of your best players in England. I I, I would argue that. and. I, I'm. I worry that if he goes to England now, that he might get burned out. Not immediately, obviously, but I, I I worry that he might pick up injuries. I worry that we might he might have a sort of Michael Owen, Fernando Torres type career, uh, which is something that would concern me a little
0: bit. It is kind of interesting that when we look at the world's greatest strikers, um, and that includes Cristiano Ronaldo, right? Um, yeah. None of them had a long career in England. I mean, Cristiano played there for a few years, but not very long. Messi, only in Spain, Ronaldo, the Brazilian, was in the Netherlands, then in Spain, and then Italy, then back to Spain. Um, it, it is an interesting one that the world's greatest strikers seem to kind of avoid that league. Shevchenko, of course, went to England. and was a bust. Um, it is a very physical competition where, you know, you said Bundesliga... Um, defending there isn't very well organized. I, I I kinda agree with you. I think the emphasis is more on the attack rather than the defense, and that, that creates a very different experience, right? And it, it helps strikers like Haaland. Um it helps strikers like Silver or Weichhorst or you know, Lewandowski yeah. even. I, I don't know, I think Lewandowski'd probably be good in any league, but you you know what I mean, right? Exactly, like, exactly. The England isn't a strikers paradise. It's um, not at all. And there's what like the, the thing
1: I Like I'm not suggest that this player is not one of the greatest strikers in the world by any means. But what's happening with Marcus Rashford this season? He's played almost every minute. Like he's playing all the time. You can see he's carrying injuries. Like there's so many games this season. You've looked at Rashford and you see he's not fully fit. But because uh, Man United, they you know, they can't they don't have the squad to replace him, they cannot afford to rest him at any time. And there is very much a culture of even if you're half fit, I mean, if you're fit enough to run, you should play. You know, Marcus Rashford should not have played as much as he's playing this season. And I worry that this could come back to haunt him in a few years. And and, and this is the kind of thing I, I feel like he'll be looked after slightly better if he goes somewhere else would be my point. And I think mentality wise and in type of the way he plays and his sort of win at all costs character, I I, I kind of feel like Real Madrid would be a tremendous fit for him uh I, I, there, there are some, I mean, he's a, he is a different player, of course, but his sort of single-minded pursuit of becoming better at the expense of really everything else, it, it does remind you a little bit of Cristiano and uh, Cristiano Ronaldo. And there is an element that I think they've lost some of that, even though Benzema has been tremendously good for them now. Uh, I think he would fit in very well there.
0: I think that you make some very good points, but we have to move on to the next Norwegian. I think we might be able to touch on Holland and Madrid in in a little bit towards the end of the pod, um, when we talk about something that was a major topic this week. Wonder what it is, but um, we I want to talk about Surlot. Yes, and, oh, and glad, Leipzig, of course. Of course, Leipzig. I think that of course, I mean the title hasn't been decided yet. Um, we I think we can all agree that Bayern will probably win it. In a couple weeks' time, when the Bundesliga resumes, um, Leipzig of course still have the chance to win the title, just like Dortmund. They they face Werder Bremen in the semi-final of the cup. Those semi-finals will take place next week. I thought Leipzig were very good against ten-man Stuttgart today. I sort of when I watched this game, I thought Solot was not great in the first half, was good in the second half, but he doesn't score a lot of goals. And There has been a lot of talk in Germany and elsewhere. And I think rightfully so saying that, well, if Haaland had played for Leipzig, they would probably win the championship this year. Because when you look at how many points Bayern have dropped, um, the race would be certainly still on if Leipzig hadn't dropped a bunch of unnecessary points by drawing 0-0 or not scoring that late goal. right? And I do think... Again, I want to talk to you about this in a moment, that they're going to rectify this this summer. I think the Leipzig side that we're going to see next summer is going to be a lot better than the one we're going to see this year. But Serlot, he was great in Turkey, had a horrible time at Crystal Palace, where he was probably playing in the wrong system, Mm. goes to Turkey, scores a lot of goals, comes to Germany, supposed to replace Timo Werner which I mean it's an odd one to begin with (laughs) yes exactly I was just gonna say that I mean like that's how are you going to replace Timo Werner with a player who's a completely different profile and I just kind of I thought today and I'm kind of curious what your take is on this I I was kind of thinking right player wrong system
1: Okay, so I want to give some background on Alex Solot. Uh, for those of you who don't know, is that he's the son of Johan Solot, who was a uh, who was a striker for for the Norwegian national team in the nineties, uh, and, and played. You know, an iconic player for our national team, I would say, and, and played in a very typical sort of the centre-forward position in a 4-3-3, uh, often playing back to goal, often coming deep to, to receive the first pass and and play it on to a winger or something. We have a term for it in Norway, a uh, spiss, uh, which literally translates into a meeting striker, a striker who's sort of turning and meeting the play. Th- that's what his father played. His father wasn't as tall as Alex, uh, but he was quite stocky and a big, broad chest and this sort of thing. Now, I, I mentioned this because Alex when he was younger played in midfield Uh, I think he said once it's because if you're a good player they stick you in midfield Uh, but then he moved uh, he he moved up front and I was asked by a a colleague uh, about him you know this Alex Solov is he any good and I just found an email I wrote where where I said that um uh he, he's got size but whenever i see him I, he doesn't throw himself phys- into physical battles like he could when with his frame uh, i hope to see him grow a bit tougher mentally in this respect uh, but this should be doable with the right coaching and mentoring uh, what i like is that he's a player who looks for technical solutions he's more technical than a lot of target men you see he makes some smart finishes now and again and this sort of thing uh so best case scenario you can get a player who has the size and frame of a target man but more technical ability to link the play but of course the risk with a player like this is that he doesn't develop and you're left with a forward who's a bit slow doesn't score enough goals isn't actually physically tough enough to be a target man so he needs a bit of work I wrote that in 2016 and the interesting thing is I feel like that's where we still are with him. We've watch him play for Leipzig. He has so many tools. He has this big frame, but he doesn't really sort of throw himself into physical challenges as much as I think he could. Uh, I think he's at his best when he can uh, when he can uh, when he has back when he's back to goal often as when he can involve himself in the build-up play. Now, interestingly, in Turkey he also ran in behind the defense quite a lot and I think they've been trying to move him uh, from to a slightly wider starting point at Leipzig so he can attack uh, the play and behind a little bit more. I think that's something he can do as well because he's quite mobile for a player his size but, but there is a there's a, there is a player there the frustrating thing with him as you're right he hasn't scored as many goals as a transfer of his importance uh, for a team like Leipzig needs to score. Uh, I think confidence has been an issue. Uh, I think we shouldn't underestimate. Uh, The difficulty of settling in a new country and a new club with COVID protocols. And all all, all the sort of team bonding things and the sort of social stuff you would do, you just can't do. Uh, What he said in the Norwegian uh, media is that he's found it uh, a little bit challenging because um, he said in Turkey, there was almost no tactics. This is a literal quote. In Turkey, there were almost no tactics, but you were just told to go out and score goals. Here, there's much more to understand. Uh, and and I think that's a big big change for him. And I think he's someone who, if RB Leipzig are patient with him and uh, find ways of playing to his strengths, and and he can score some more goals and feel more confident, I think they will be rewarded. I'm I'm fully convinced there's a good striker there. But you know what? I also understand if a club like Leipzig, with their objectives, with the level they wish to be at, with the resources they have, feel that actually maybe spending a lot of time uh, developing and growing uh, uh, Alex Solot, maybe that's not what we want to do. Maybe we want to sign someone who's good right now. I'm interested in, in what you think about it.
0: Yeah, I, I've, I think that's maybe where we're at, right? But I always wonder if we're at a point now, because Julian Nagelsmann, and, and we saw this as Hoffenheim, it sometimes took a year or two until strikers understood understood him. Mm. <laughs> I mean, and I mean there's a lot of rumors about Nagelsmann going to Bayern. Um I, I personally find 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 it difficult to imagine that Bayern Munich are gonna pay twenty million euros um during COVID for a for a coach. Um I, I personally cannot see that happen when it was pretty much shoo away today in, mm. in various reports that I've seen. And um I, I personally can't can't see it happen. Um so he will get another year under Nagelsmann, I think, and um it takes time to work under Nagelsmann. Um, or let's say Nagelsmann does leave and it's Jesse Marsh next year because I do think that was going to eventually replace Nagelsmann. I think, he, you know, he would face a lot of the same difficulties tactical, tactically. But I do wonder, um, I, I like the Norwegian word that you used. I'm not going to try to reproduce it.
1: <laughs> uh, a, meeting, yes. a meeting striker. <laughs> I think <laughs> yeah. we
0: call that a one-spieler. Okay. Um, some a player that you can play the ball off on, mm. um, you know. And I think he's he would be quite perfect for that. And they have signed a Timo Werner-esque striker in Brian Brabby from Ajax. Mm. And I almost, I'm really looking forward to, because I do not think that they have a player at the moment in the squad that can actually play with serlot no. You know, you, you threw Paulson in there and then you have another guy like Sirlot on the field. Um, Wong never quite worked out. I mean, like he had COVID and he's dealt with long COVID. And that's, that's quite a horrible story. You know, it really ruined his career or this season, at least. I hope that he can rebound because I think there is a good player there as well. Yeah. But I do think Brian Brabby in some ways could be not just a solution for Leipzig, but maybe also for Sörlott because all of a sudden you have a quick, mobile, very fast player um, who, who, you can, who you can make the space for.
1: Yeah, or possibly if they move uh, Patsen Daka over from RB Salzburg. was the
0: second name I was going to name. Mention,
1: similar but. story, sorry. But yeah, because I also think if they were signing him to... It, it makes no sense to sign him to play with Yusuf Polson. It makes sense to sign him to potentially upgrade Yusuf Polson because I think he's not... Um, I mean, Poulsen, I, I like a lot as a player, but I think Solot has a little bit more technique, offers you a little bit more in the link-up play, in the build-up, than, than Poulsen does, even though Poulsen is a very good player. Uh, and, I, you know, he, he makes more sense as someone you would sign to play with Werner than someone you sign instead of Werner. That doesn't make, doesn't make sense at all. And, and Like I said, he is a guy who's a little bit more technical than a lot of strikers his size. He's a little bit quicker than a lot of strikers his size. And there are so many things he could... I think there's a lot of unfulfilled potential there still, which is strange. I mean, I'm talking about him like he's 18, like he's not at all, but I think when you, when you watch him, there's still, it's frustrating and interesting because there is a player there. I'm, I'm very sure there is, but he needs to be used in the right way and have the right people around him. And again, I, I definitely think confidence
0: has been an issue at times this this season. Yeah, you see that too on the field because, you know, when I watched him really closely today and I, I tracked the stats that we, we, we get on transfermarkt from Opta, right. And, um, it was interesting how he seemed almost lost a little bit in the first yeah. half. And then in the second half, he kind of dropped a little bit deeper. He he was more involved in the play. Um his pass completion went up. He had a lot more touches. I think he finished the game with around 85% pass completion um and was in the upper third of of touches, even though first half he was almost not present. And you know, you do get the sense that he, he, he still spends a lot of time every game kind of trying to find his place.
1: Yeah, but I think in a way he doesn't really fit with the Abbey model of the sort of gag impressing and all that. But on the other hand, it's always been a strength of Abbey Leipzig that they've had use polson that. I mean, you've had the option of going over the press, if you want, of of, of going long and, and having that physical presence has been very useful for them. And I think he can give them an outlet in, in that regard. But, but it's just the sense of... Um, it's just a sense of him almost looking like he's not
0: on the same wavelength as anyone else, you know, and that that that's a very frustrating thing to see, yeah, one hundred percent. I do think that a striker is maybe a missing piece to catch up with these guys absolutely oh but one thing I, I again, you mentioned that he
1: he was almost a bit careful, I mean he really doesn't use his frame as as well as he could i mean the, he's big and strong, and there's sometimes you look at him, and this might be because I've lived in England too long. But just yo, know, just go and smash the center half who's marking you. Like honestly, like you are a big, strong guy. Next time the ball, oh, just throw an arm or something and let him know you're there, uh, because he's almost like it's almost like he would have to apologize both before and after doing something like this. Like you want to see a bit more, um, you know, a bit more aggression from from him, basically.
0: Yeah, one hundred percent. So yeah, I mean, let let's see how he does next year. Uh, next year, hopefully a little bit more interesting. Um, as I said earlier on, title race not quite over because Bayern Munich ended up losing against Mainz. Here we go. Ah! Oh, that's oh, that's a really wow. good ball in! And there is the second goal! Robin!
1: on What an extraordinary performance so far from Mainz. This was supposed to be the day when Bayern sealed the title, but it might be all about Mainz. It's 2-0! Hi, it's Chris. I've just dropped in to remind you that today's podcast is brought to you in association with Manscaped, and you can get 20% off all their products at manscaped.com by using the code GAGAN2021. That's G-E-G-E-N 2021.
0: So, yeah, Lars, the title party is postponed. Um, It's thankfully because, you know, uh, I'm covering this league full-time. I'm very sick and tired of all the Farmers League League jokes and the one-team league. At least we have to wait till May. And, you know, in fairness, it's been now a few years that we had to wait till May. Um, I do have the sense that there is more competition in the league now than there was a few years ago when Bayern absolutely smashed everybody. Um, but with Flick leaving, Alaba leaving, uh, Lewandowski getting older, Neuer getting older, I personally think there is, you know, there is opportunities going to come for the likes of Leipzig, but, you know, you have a different perspective on the league than I do because, you know, you cover a bunch of other competitions and, um, other leagues and, you know, I'm like, Bundesliga is one of the main leagues I cover. Uh, what's your take on, on Bayern's dominance? Um, I'm a little bit frustrated that they are going to end
1: up winning it this season because I think they were vulnerable this season. I think they were more vulnerable than maybe the points total and some of the games we've seen suggest. I mean, they've conceded forty goals. They've conceded. I mean, they've conceded more goals to Union Berlin. They've conceded just three goals to and Freiburg. I mean, this is a team who who have been quite sloppy at the back throughout the season and of course in the Champions League as we saw when you come up against Kylian Mbappe suddenly that's a big problem but uh, I think it's been a difficult season to play the sort of high press that uh, that Flick has them playing so I feel like in this of all seasons it should have been possible to challenge them which makes it very frustrating that uh, Dortmund have had the season that they've had uh, which makes it very frustrating that my my dear compatriot uh, Alex Soloth hasn't immediately settled and given Leipzig the goals they needed uh, to replace Werner I mean it is crazy that Leipzig Leipzig sorry are theoretically still in the title race uh, at this point in the season and their top scorer has seven goals like this is bizarre uh, and, and it shows you exactly what what the problem has been for them and I feel like of course with the financial advantages they have with the incredible culture of winning that they have at Bayern Munich There will be a lot of seasons where they're just not beatable. They're going to rack up a points total that no one can catch. And it doesn't really matter what any of the rivals do. But this wasn't one of those seasons. I think this was a season it was possible to beat them. And that makes it a little bit frustrating that no one's really stepped up to the plate.
0: I think it's for people that cover the Bundesliga full-time and really watch it. The last three years felt like that. Mm. Yeah. Because we had Dortmund just throw away a Bundesliga title under their first year under Favre. Last year, I mean, Flick comes in November, and yes, he goes on an unbelievable run and wins every title there is under the sun. But honestly, at that point, a consistent team would have been gone eight, nine points mm. ahead of them. And yep. then you can do whatever you want. <laughs> you cannot catch catch them, right? You can win every single game if the other team wins it too. No chance. I, I mean, remember that year Dortmund were under Tuchel. If Dortmund <laughs> had a year like they had under Tuchel, then Bayern would have finished second last year and it wouldn't have mattered. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I I think that's what really is frustrating for a lot of people that work full-time in the Bundesliga is like the last three titles that Bayern won were kind of unnecessary for the rest (laughs) of the league. It could have been avoided.
1: And then you get people from other parts of the world who don't watch the Bundesliga saying, yeah, yeah, Bayern are so superior. It's not very exciting. Like it, it shouldn't have been this way the last couple of years. I completely agree. And the fear is now... Uh, if they appoint Nagelsmann and they make one or two clever signings that
0: work out, suddenly they might be back to a stage where no one can compete with them. Yeah, that's the danger, right? I mean, on the other hand, I I don't know how you see this last, but I feel like they've got optimal Lewandowski now, and they got optimal Manuel Neuer, and they got optimal Thomas Müller. But I think that it was Hansi Flick that got them to that optimal level, and with Hansi Flick gone. And those players not maybe performing at that level and getting older, we have to remember that too. Yeah, David Alaba gone There's a player that you can play in on left back, centre back, defensive midfield. You know that he's leaving a huge hole. Massive, um, and maybe not Nagelsmann. <laughs> I feel like if no one does it next year, it will never happen.
1: Yeah, it's true. If they don't get Nagelsmann, not only will they have this disadvantage of Nagelsmann not being their coach, but also everyone will know whoever they got was nowhere close to the first choice, which is not an ideal situation to be in, right? And also, like, Up is a great player, but... Settling in as a defender for a team like Bayern, I mean, we shouldn't take it for granted that he's going to be amazing from day one. It is a transition moving from Leipzig to Bayern, especially for a defender. You're suddenly in an environment where every tiny mistake you make will be scrutinized and every little thing like matters a lot more to a lot more people. And that's not necessarily going to be easy for a young man, even if it is, he's an outstanding young player. So, I mean, like you say, it, there could be potential weaknesses there in the future, you're right. So I guess all eyes are on What Leipzig do in the summer, how they shape up to go again next year, and whether Marco Rosa, how much time it'll take him to turn Dortmund into the team I think we're all hoping Dortmund can be.
0: I think that if Nagelsmann stays, I really like what Leipzig have done already. Um, Brian Brabby seems like a fantastic signing, and they signed two incredible defenders in Guardiola and Simakan, mm. Guardiola in particular, I think this is going to be—he's going to be a defender. A lot of people will be talking about Europe. Um, you know, when you when you see what he's been doing in in Croatia and um, the sort of—I I describe him as a beast—and I'm really looking forward because I think he will actually make Leipzig's defense better than it is now. And I think that's something interesting to see because I think defense is the one factor you can quite quickly turn around in the Bundesliga. You shore that up. And then all of a sudden, you know, your points total goes up. And yeah. I think the one, key, the one key thing for Dortmund is to sign a goalkeeper. Um, any yeah. goalkeeper, who's not named Berkey, please, because I think that's, that's <laughs> been a problem for them. Um, a, goal, but, a goalkeeper with a pulse. Yeah, a goalkeeper. Someone who just gets the basics right. I think. Yeah. I, I think Dortmund fans don't ask for a lot at the moment, but I, I think someone who's at least getting the basic rights. Uh, Last. One big topic, and if you don't know what the Super League is, you have been living <laughs> underneath a rock.
1: You've done good. I mean, maybe that was the solution. <laughs> You've done this good. Week. You've avoided the internet maybe for just at least switch, a week. Maybe just switch off the internet from like Monday to like Thursday afternoon at least, and just sort of move on with your life. Maybe that's I, what I should have done.
0: I had friends here in Canada who have no idea what soccer is, but they know what the Super League is. Yeah. That's says, that says everything you need to know about the Super League. Um, we had a special podcast on the Super League, so um, it's it's we've discussed it plenty and what 50 plus one is and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I think Bayern and Dortmund were on the right side of history by saying no or nein danke. Um, it wasn't necessarily all up to them. I mean, the club structures would have made it kind of impossible for them to do it anyways. But we've talked about this before, the show last and Real Madrid and the English teams English teams handling it a little bit different than Real Madrid but Real Madrid saying like well we need the money from this league the Bundesliga a lot of attention has been spent on 50 plus one as being the savior of rescuing the rest of the world from from the Super League I think that's a narrative that's not quite true I think it it played a major role in stopping it but Bundesliga teams also have a very different financial outlook right they do only really spend what what they have yes there's exceptions to the rule before anyone comes pretty
1: basic but this is football yeah. so you know
0: <laughs> yeah and i mean like um so again because you have an outlook that's that's much broader than um mine for example what was sort of the outside look lo- the outside view looking into the bundesliga and looking at these clubs and uh, what's your take on this whole super league fiasco
1: Well, well i think in england where i live uh, it was a week where i mean a lot of people look to the bundesliga and think ah oh, yes this is we should learn from these guys because they've they're doing a lot of things right i think a lot of people in english football thought that already but i think certainly a lot more people think it after this week so i think the stance you took was very very good it's interesting how reaction was a little bit different in the different countries In in england the reactions were immediate and furious and unequivocal from the fans from pundits from journalists from ex-players eventually current players when they decided to speak up it was quite extraordinary how there was just no one In favor of this. (laughs) It is very rare you see an an issue unite so many people in England. I saw polling uh, from YouGov, a very serious polling company, amongst uh, fans of the six clubs involved. There was only something like like 20% who said they were in favor of it. And if that sounds like a big number have doing anything for these big clubs these six clubs doing anything that polls that has negative 80% polling with their own fans is really hard i mean fans are incredibly loyal and tribal about their clubs and will support their clubs in almost any circumstance which sometimes often leads to unfortunate outcomes in this case it was like really few people who who would admit to this being an idea and i think it was only something like of football fans in general had any interest in watching this. Now, there's a difference between telling a polling company on the phone that you wouldn't watch this and actually not switching it on if it's on. But I think it was just... I can't remember anything being this aggressively received over here in terms of new ideas. And I thought it was really interesting that Sky Sports... Who, as a broadcaster, you would imagine, would perhaps decide to sit sort of quietly in the corner and just to see how this shakes out. Because they might want to buy it. Like if this is really popular, maybe they want to want the rights. Uh instead, they just sort of let Gary Neville have all the airtime he wanted to explain how terrible this idea was and, and use and use their air to make himself like a rallying point for, for the resistance almost. It was extraordinary. Whereas, of course, the reaction was a little bit different. Um, in 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 Spain and Italy now, of course, it was unpopular there as well with fans of the other clubs. Uh, but I think, especially in the media in Spain, uh, it was a little bit more mixed. And I think there are media outlets in that country who are a little bit more beholden to uh, Barcelona and Real Madrid as institutions, uh, a little bit more than what is ideal for for a seemingly sort of independent in inverted commas uh, media outlet. Um, but in England, certainly it was extremely unpopular. And I think the fact that the German clubs completely turned it down and didn't didn't seem to have at least even have entertained the idea have made a lot of people think about our ownership structures uh, on this side of the North Sea and whether we should change them, basically.
0: Yeah, I think that the German clubs and decision makers are German clubs because... Uh, Karl-Heinz Rummenigge is by no means an angel and has the best interests of all fans in the world in, at heart. But I think he knew that this is just not going to fly. Mm. Yeah. And I, I think that it really comes came down to that, just realizing this is not a fight we're even going to be... You know, this is a can of worms we're not even going to open because we just know that the reaction is going to be violent in, in Germany to this. And it would have been, been really bad. So good for them to not do it at all. But what I do find interesting, though... Is that the whole power structure in European football now seems to have shifted? You know, the snakes in the grass, and this is this is a quote that I'm using from uh, Alexander Severin, which I find quite fittingly to describe uh, people like Agnelli in Paris, who were working on this monstrous UEFA Champions League reform. And I mean, the UEFA Champions League reform is a problem, in my opinion. Yes, I agree. Worked on this until the very last minute, just then do not take calls anymore. But those people are gone now. The Agnellis and the Paris's they all resigned from decision-making powers at the ECA and UEFA. And, you know, we have someone like Romanek come in and Bayern have been a big proponent of FFP, financial fair play. They have been a big proponent of cost-cutting because they have to do this. In Germany, you do not get your license unless you you live by those measures, right? Hmm. And they want a level playing field. They want a level playing field where uh, they can compete without breaking the bank. And I mean, we're talking about making money. Bayern Munich is one of the few teams that for like 20 years in a row, every year they made money, right? That's unheard of in football. And I think even during COVID, they, had, they took a hit, but it wasn't a big hit. They know how to make money and they know how to spend well. And I think this is going to be a topic that's going to come up. But Romenegger today and Bild sontag said there needs to be a salary cap. There needs to be a curbing of spending and it needs to be a hard measure. And I know this is really difficult to impl- implement because of the European Union. I know Britain is now out of the EU, but the clubs have to basically live by EU standards, don't they? This is going to be very difficult to implement. But in your mind, what is a sort of measure that you could put in?
1: I think you're right about it being difficult to implement. I think it would have been done already if it was possible to implement it. I mean, even FFP turned out to be very hard to enforce. uh, (laughs) We don't have to go further into that. But uh, no, you're right. I I like the idea, but I don't understand how you implement it. I don't understand how you enforce it uh, across the various different countries with the different sort of financial systems and the different mechanisms and the different ways of, of enforcing this. And I think... Yeah, if all the European countries got together and said, we're going to have a salary cap or we're going to link it to turnover and whatever, I do strongly suspect that the Premier League might go, well, we're not going to do that <laughs> because we don't want to. Uh, and, uh, and and then they're going to be surprised when clubs keep losing money. Um, I, I, one of the great fallacies of the Super League, the arguments that were made, and made by Florentino Perez in particular, who, I mean, I don't think you could have picked a worse spokesman for, for this group.
0: I'm trying to think. Any, you you anyone, think going on late-night Spanish television wasn't uh, a good idea? I
1: mean, well, it would have been a good idea if he could go there without saying nonsensical things, but that clearly is beyond him. He comes across as a man who isn't used to people telling him no very often. Uh, but, but one of the points he made was that, you know, we're losing so much money, like, unless we get all this new money where we're, we're going to go under and all of this, but it's just, it's bizarre because they're already making more money than anyone else. You know, they're already, if you look at the sort of Deloitte money league and the list of the clubs with the highest revenue in Europe, they're, they're all there. The sort, of, the sort of 12 breakaway clubs. And if they're losing money now with all the advantages they have and all the extra revenue they generate, what makes them think they wouldn't lose money in the future if you give them more money? Like they, they'll just find new and more interesting way of losing them. You know, this is what they do. They're, they're completely unable to sort of self police their their spending, and I don't see why that would change. I mean, it would change because apparently there was going to be a sort of spending restriction in the Super League. But I mean, I don't. I'm I'm not I'm not really convinced by 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 his arguments at all. If he wanted to stop losing money, you would stop doing nonsensical things like paying 130 million on Eden Hazard when he's got a year left on his contract. or or, or spending half of Spain's GDP on Gareth Bale's salary. like No one forced you to do these things, but here we
0: are. It it turns out you're just not very good at running your club, I guess. And And and, this uh, is Bayern-related, signing David Alaba to a contract that Bayern Munich, even though he is one of the most important uh, players, said nein danke, because we can't afford that. And then he's now signing him to this deal, what was it, 20 million for five years per year, and a signing on bonus of another 20 million? Like. Where is that money coming from? I, I last time I checked it was money growing on treason in Madrid. And and this is and these and this is a great case. You mentioned
1: Bayern being able to do cost cutting. I'm not sure there are listeners to this podcast who are fans of other Bundesliga clubs who will chuckle cynically at the notion of Bayern, you know, cutting costs. Oh, yeah. they are still spending quite a lot. But at least Bayern are mature enough to look at the finances of that Alaba deal and think, you know what? This guy's made one of our sort of three best, three most important players probably, but we can't do this. Like this deal isn't possible. If we do it, we end up being Barcelona where the entire squad are on. God knows how much money. And like, they're just in a big hole. They're not getting out of anytime soon. So so at least they have the maturity to make those decisions. I think that's a problem across the continent where that maturity just doesn't exist. And it is an eternal problem. I think with football football clubs aren't businesses like you're not there to make money but you're there to get results and results are often easier to get if you're losing a ton of money but then if you do that too much you run into big problems as well I, that that is a sort of back and forth between running football clubs that i think is always going to be an issue and it's clear that the german clubs have got it or are, are, are a lot more responsible than clubs in
0: other countries in europe i think this is a Great point to end this, because I think we can go for hours and hours and hours, Lars, and yes. we probably will have to have you back on to discuss a lot more of those things. But unfortunately, we're kind of out of time, and I'll you know get what? It, in about trouble it, with my it, producer. About,
1: about, about, <laughs> it, about a year from now, when Alex Solos you know, has found his place and scored 30 goals in the Bundesliga, you know, I can come back on <laughs> and explain how it all works.
0: <laughs> or sooner. We would love to have you back sooner. This was... I, I yeah, I really enjoyed this chat. It's a very different format than we usually do and I think it's it was great. It was really great having you on and last before you go um if people do not follow you or don't know your work where can people find you
1: um at lars sieverson on twitter just at my name on on twitter and i'll throw out especially the stuff i do that's english language and uh, yeah so you can check that out uh yeah next time next time the life and times of Rune Alstein. let's let's do it it'll be fun
0: let's do that for sure <laughs> well thank you so much for being on Lars, and give this guy a follow he's awesome he's produces great content uh, he's on Twitter. And yeah, until next week, everyone, auf Wiedersehen. Erleben wir das Beste. Und kein Ende in Sicht. Kein Ende in Sicht.